goal today is to look at uh, 7 through 10. 6 was what we looked at last week, excuse me. And uh, verse 7 today, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And Coming to chapter 6, we know that the theme of Galatians has been do not depart from grace, do not forsake grace and take up again a yoke of bondage, some kind of works-based righteousness or works-based sanctification that would, that would further us on in self-strength uh, by self-motives for self-glorification. Uh, but rather, we've been reminded that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and we will be sanctified by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. And so, some incredibly corrective passages in Galatians, calling the Galatians out of a deceived state, a state of being bewitched by false teachers, and to coming back to the gospel of grace. Uh, as with most epistles and letters from Paul, the last chapter is very pragmatic, pragmatic, very practical. You get a lot of do this, 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 and this before I say goodbye, you know. Uh, but as I prayed, we never want to just take that by itself as a list of things I've got to do. Uh, we want to remember the context that we've been giving it. These are things that we do because we've been saved by grace. And these are things that we do in the power of grace, the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. These are things that we do motivated by the gospel. And as we see that Jesus has gone before us doing these things as well. So uh, with that being said, uh, these passages, verses 7 through 10, they fit in with verse 6, which we studied last week. It is, in fact, a benefit to ministers and pastors and those who pour out spiritual things to you that they also would uh, be partakers of material things so that they can be supported by the gospel that they live and teach. Um, and so that is true in this, uh, but we also have in this uh, that it is true morally and spiritually, the principles we'll get to today, uh, as well as, let's see if I can say this right, philanthropically, <laughs> uh, in our kindness, in our good works, philanthropy, okay, forget it, all right, Lakeview High School education coming out to greet you all this morning. But the principle is this, whether we're talking to generosity to ministers, whether we're talking it about our holiness and our personal lives and our morality, or whether we're talking about the good that we're doing to this world, here's the principle, as the NIV puts it, a man reaps what he sows. A man or a woman reaps what he or she sows. Some have called it the law of great return. You reap what you sow. I probably heard that phrase from, you know, grandma or something before I'd ever read it in Galatians. You know, it's just a common phrase out there in this world. You reap what you sow. And Paul uses a picture, an analogy that is very common that everyone can, can you know, have spark their brain 
for thousands of years all the way today. It's a wonderful picture that brings wonderful application. It's a very straightforward, absolute principle that all of us can understand. Even if you're a child, you can understand this. And the truth depends on the nature of the seed, the quality of the seed, the amount of seed, and the field in which it is sown. It starts out with an unshakable warning, a word of warning and a fact to be faced. It says this in the word of warning, do not be deceived. And Whenever we hear Paul say that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we really need to stop and take stock in this warning. Because it is things, these are things that usually people are deceived in. We are lied to by this world. We are lied to by the wicked one who is a deceiver. The scripture says that he's been a deceiver since the beginning Don't be led astray from the truth. And the Galatians were those that were quickly led astray. Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Galatians 3.1 says that you would not obey the truth. And Jesus says in the Mount of Olives discourse, the Olivet discourse in Matthew 24.4, Jesus answers, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be troubled. And he goes on. And so, uh, but he says, many are going to come into my name saying, I'm the Christ, but don't be deceived by them. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And in this agricultural picture, There's a warning for us to not be tempted to think that we can sow what we want, when we want, how we want, with whomever we want, and that it will be without consequence. Don't be deceived. It's impossible in the agricultural realm, and it's impossible in the spiritual realm, and in the moral realm as well. This law of returns is unstoppable in its moral, spiritual, and agricultural applications. Don't be deceived. You don't get to just sow wherever you want, whenever you want, and do it your way and not reap any form of consequences or fruit or yield from it. That's the warning. And the fact to be faced is that God will not be mocked in this. This is an idea of treating God with contempt. And the language has to do with our nose, believe it or not, in the original. And it speaks of turning your nose up to God. And being scornful towards God. And laughing at God. Mocking God. The uh, New King James Version says, don't be deceived. You won't turn your nose up to God. As John Wesley says, although they attempt to mock him who think they reap other than they sow. Now think about that for a second. Let the Holy Spirit examine your life in all areas. Do you think that you are going to reap 
something different than what you're putting into your life? That God is wrong. No, I can actually go ahead and live life my way and I'm going to reap the things that I want to reap out of life. God's wrong on this. Well, my friends, that would be the wicked one speaking to you. And you are being deceived. And in your deception, you in turn are lifting your nasal passages to God. I know better than you. And you're being scornful to God. And that's the way it's been ever since the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. There in the garden, centered around some kind of appleish pomegranate-ish thing. A fruit is all we know. No, God doesn't know. Did God really say, here's his little game that he's trying to play with you. He's trying to rob you from some popularity and from knowing some stuff. Don't be deceived. You eat of the fruit, you will reap death and destruction. This is more than a mere admonition. This is incredible correction and incredible truth. That we can't make God's law obsolete and think we can slip one past God. It's been said, we may fool all of the people some of the time. We may fool some of the people all of the time. But we may not fool God any of the time. We, in and of ourselves, might try to ignore the consequences of our sowing and planting, but one day God will show himself to be true in the outcome. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Agriculturally true, spiritually true. If a man sows carrots, what will he get? Talk to Adam Barney about that, because apparently it's Canadian thistle. But anyways, <laughs> I thought he was going to be in here today so I could tease him in front of the congregation, but no. Is he really? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Am I right, though? No, this year's been good, right? All right. We actually got some carrots in that field. Praise the Lord. <laughs> if a man sows corn, he will get corn. <laughs> Beans, beans. There's a song about that, but alfalfa. With Joe, he's like, this field over here has winter alfalfa. This field over here has spring alfalfa. And what are we getting in each of those? Well, I don't know. Has it been been a good yield so far? It looked okay. You know, you will reap what you sow and what you plant. Now, again, the context is that this is true in our pastoral ministry and how we care for those that are teaching the word to us. See last week's message. It's true in our personal holiness. What we're planting in our life will be what comes out of our life. And it's true in our personal goodness to the world around us. Job noticed it in 4.8. Even as I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. If we are a people, as we looked last week, who have zeal and ardency and we're on fire and we are fervent in prayer and long prayers and we make great loud professions and stand up at certain times in the church service and it just looks like we are super spiritual, standing up, sitting down, kneeling down, whatever it may be, 
and yet outside of the sanctuary, our heart is with the world. We're spending our money and our time on everything else but religion then we're mocking God. And by religion, I mean true, pure, undefiled religion, not just the external stuff, as we sang this morning. Again, Albert Barnes from last week said, Alas, how much mockery of God like this still prevails. How much when people seem disposed to make God believe that they're exceedingly zealous and devoted, yet their heart is truly with the world. We may have all kinds of external religion, but are we sowing to fleshly carnality 99% of the time? That's what we're going to be getting out of our life. That'll be the yield. Look at verse 8. This principle of sowing and reaping continues. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Your NIV does say it there. A man reaps what he sows. Sowing to the flesh, reaping, bringing out a harvest, bringing out a yield, cutting it down, stacking it up, bailing it nicely, stacking it up. You know, uh, in our modern Prineville language, you know, it will be destruction if you're going to plant to the flesh. You will see decay. And moral destruction in your life. The language here speaks of you will have stuff coming out of your life that is commonly loathsome and offensive with disease. One man, as I heard, he says that it's connected to the idea of a rotten tooth. Just rotting in your head. You can just picture that, you know. Man, have you brushed your teeth today? Oh, I've got death in here, you know. Uh, there's, There's a problem there. We've been there. Many of you have been there anyways. Um, And when you think of the death and the decay, you know, you grow up on a farm, you know, uh, you've got that pit, right? That the dead cows go into. And, you know, you you got the pit, right? Sure you do. Also known as Alan's backyard. But, you know, I remember as a kid, you go to the pit and it's just, you know, the bloated animal. You can smell it a mile away. You shoot it with the 22, it's fun. But it's disgusting. It is offensive and loathsome. You know, I uh, had friends that had a home burnt down in burns, and some pastors went to help, you know, gather things in that fire. And anything that could, about all that was left was some nails and things, you know, that we say, oh, this was part of our home that burnt down. But one thing that was left was a deep freeze. Somehow this deep freeze like shriveled and melted, but the the door opened and Josh Bryant, who was here a couple weeks ago, opened the deep freeze to see what had survived. And somehow there were maggots in the meat of the deep freeze. And, you know, basically you opened up a nuclear bomb and Josh just says the moment it all hit him, he lost it, you know? And he says, I've never had any. You're like, oh, I wonder what, you know, oh. It's the language, what it's speaking of is if we are going to sow to the flesh, then we are going to reap such foul and loathsome disease out of our life in every area. And God always said that it was going to be so, but we didn't believe him. 
On the same hand, the promise is true for us today that if we would sow to the Spirit of God and to spiritual things, we will reap not death and not decay, but life everlasting and eternal. Holiness is a harvest. Holiness is a harvest. And the seed are our thoughts and deeds. Stott says, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. And we wonder why our life is falling apart and reeks. Romans tells us this in 8.6, to be carnally minded is death. To be living and governed and to be pursuing the things of this world brings death, decay, destruction. But to be spiritually minded, led, governed under the authority of the spirit of truth brings everlasting life and peace. It goes on to say why. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It doesn't say a carnal mind is at war with God. No, it says it is war against God. For it does not or is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, sowing to the flesh, led by the flesh, governed by the flesh, you let the flesh do what the flesh wants, you will die. And that doesn't just affect you personally. That's a lie from the wicked one right there. It affects your marriage, your parenting, your church, your community, your nation. There's a reason we are where we are at in the United States today. And it is because on an individual level, men and women have been sowing to the flesh, even within the church, rather than sowing to the spirit. James tells us that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you look at someone's life and you can just see, man, there's righteousness about them. There's peace in their home, their family, and their life is glorifying to God. Why is that? Because they take the time to sow to the Spirit. They cast out seeds. They run the drill over the field of their hearts with the seed of the Spirit of God. And Galatians in chapter 5 spoke to this, walk in the Spirit step by step, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Shows the battle there, that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, driven by the spirit, you're not under the law. 
Later on in Galatians chapter 5, I think it was verse 24, I've got it right here. Looking on the wrong paragraph there. Verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. We who are Christians who've been born again, we are Christ. There is a daily keeping of the flesh crucified by the power of the spirit. There is a daily no sowing to the flesh. No sowing to the flesh. You stay up there on the cross, flesh. You stay up there. You're not coming down for a second today. You're up there. And instead, by the power of the Spirit, just as I'm keeping you crucified, I'm sowing to righteousness. I'm pursuing righteousness. And though sin does not reign in my life, it tries to remain. But when it comes and knocks at the door, I will not give way to it because I don't have to. The devil will have no lending ground in my life that's called the flesh. And so as I'm about to go out with my girlfriend, what field will I sow in? As I'm going on a business conference, what field will I sow in? As I'm about to rent a movie, what field will I sow in tonight? I have a free Friday night. What field will I sow in? As we apply this into the realm of our holiness, we must understand this principle that where we do the sowing is where we do the reaping. The saying has been seared into my heart that if we sow a thought, we will reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. This is clear not only in the agricultural realm, but in our lives and practices as well. It's so clear that when we sow to please our sinful nature or our flesh, refusing to do what we should do, which is crucify it, and doing what we know we shouldn't, which is coddle sin, pander sin, stroke sin, cuddle with sin, and refusing to call the devil what he is, the wicked one, the destroyer, the deceiver, we treat him like he's a big lap dog that's just kind of dumb a little bit, just a lap dog that just hop up on my lap and he's just kind of silly and he likes to do that sometimes. He's Satan. What we see happening in the world in the realms of fallen condition is because of him. The genocides, the rape, the incest, the warfare, the broken homes, broken marriages, single moms, Kids without moms and dads, you name it, it's because of him from the beginning. Don't cuddle him. Don't treat him like he's just a silly little thing that, you know, you're kind of let him in and he just gets mud on the carpet. He will destroy you. He will murder your family. He will kill you eternally. The seeds that we sow are our thoughts and actions. And it, it would be good for us to start to recognize when a thought is from the wicked one and calling it out. All that we're made of, all that we say, all that we do, all that where we go, these are the seeds that we sow. And if we invest in our flesh, we will live with the fruit and the yield of that. And understanding that brings incredible freedom. Freedom. 
As we understand the world that we're living in and the life that we're, that we're living in, this, this day-to-day struggles that we're having. Sowing to our flesh by holding on to grudges. Allowing impurities to play in our mind. Nurturing our self-pity. Loving being lazy. Failing to read what I should read. And reading and watching what I know I shouldn't. As Philippians has this beautiful passage in 4.8 that since I was a high schooler, it was a song that I used to sing and play on my guitar. And it is finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When it's a Friday night, what do we do? Hey, whatever we do, may this be something that is, it's of good report. I don't have to hide that, that we've done this. It's something that's going to bring God glory. It's something that's going to help in my holiness and contribute to the sanctification. It's going to be something that is going to leave a good flavor in the mouth of the world towards Jesus. Every day we make this journey and the choices that we have, they're 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes a day, you know, it goes so on all the way throughout the week. These are real life decisions that we have. Where am I going to sow? And with what am I going to sow? We know the Christians who spend hours a day investing in their sinful nature. And they wonder why they have no victory over their sin. They wonder why their lives are falling apart. The community's falling apart. Their marriage is in shambles. Their kids hate them. They hate their kids. And yet they have a pattern in their life of investing in the flesh. At the very least, 90% of the time. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You wonder why you're not living a holy life? The truth is that you can't. You can't live a holy life because you're taking all that you are and you're sowing it to the flesh. Even the secular world sees this. The American Medical Association released an article that said, hey, physicians, in all of your dealing with children who are having behavioral problems, something that you must examine in their life is the kind of music that they're listening to. And the study would show that on average, between 7th and 12th grade, young people take on 10,500 hours of music in their mind that lends itself to all kinds of this disorderly behavior. Even they realize that our children reap what they sow. The average American watches more than five hours of TV every day, then spends another 32 minutes a day on what's called time-shifted television, an hour using the internet, an hour and seven minutes on a smartphone, and two hours, 46 minutes listening to the radio. That's a whole lot of input. And I think it's the wisdom from the scripture that however much input you're getting, make sure it's holy. Make sure it's sowing to the Spirit. And it's interesting that the older we get, the more TV we watch. (laughs) This goes all the way from if you're 
uh, let's say my age, 34, it's an average of 27 hours, 36 minutes a week that uh, I'm watching TV. But for 65 and older, 50 hours a week. I'm sure that that's not an exact reflection of our church, but it certainly is of our culture, isn't it? And just imagine if all of that that is coming in is of the flesh, what are we reaping in our culture? And where it's true of our church, what are we reaping in our church? If the music, show, or web browsing runs counter to the purposes of purity and holiness in Christ, then every piece that I'm listening to and watching, I'm sowing in the wrong field, and I'm going to reap that. But if I'm in the presence of the holy God, studying his holy word, which is written for my correction and and for my uh, uh, equipping so that I can be a light in this dark world, that I can know him, setting my heart on the things that that, that please him, We'll be reaping completely different things. Colossians tells us in chapter 3, if we were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Uh, the, The motivation there is, this is if you've been raised with Christ. If the Lord has done a work in your life, justifying you, setting you apart from this world, then turn and seek him on a daily basis. So do the Spirit, Colossians 3 says, in other words. With the Spirit's enabling, decide where you're going to sow. And the NIV says, this one sows to please the Spirit. In all the areas of your life, How you speak, where you go, what you read, what you watch, what you're listening to, how you spend your leisure time, how you spend your work time, how you spend your break time. Are you sowing to please the Spirit of God? Whatever is lustful, grievous, and full of self-pity, I refuse to tolerate. And I will sow in things that please God. Sowing to corruption for those who sow to the flesh. These are the harvests that will be reaped. Proverbs speaks to this many times. In fact, Proverbs is almost, uh, you know, or Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 9 is almost a summary of the whole book of Proverbs. You read the Proverbs and you have wisdom for young men that essentially says, you reap what you sow, son. Young men, you reap what you sow. And Proverbs 6, 12 through 15 says, A wicked person, a wicked man, a worthless person, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles with his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. That's what he sows. This is the fallen condition. This is sinful Man, this is every one of us apart from Jesus. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. You sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, 
you will reap eternal life. Not only life now, because you will see the fruit of that now, but also for eternity in the future. As Begg says, when we think this through and think it through, we must. We need to take a spiritual inventory of ourselves. And we need to ruthlessly resist sowing to the fields of our sinful nature and gladly, energetically commit ourselves to sowing to the field of the Spirit. The degree to which we do that is the degree to which we will live a holy life. I like that. Taking spiritual inventory of ourselves, we would do good this afternoon to just go home, just get away for a minute, and just let the Lord examine our life and our time and our media and our movies and our weekends and our holidays and all of these things and our luxury time. And, all. and Lord, are these things sowing to the flesh or are they sowing to the spirit? Then ruthlessly resist sowing to the flesh while gladly energetically committing ourselves to sowing in the spirit. We're enabled by the Spirit of God, guided by the Word of God, daily making decisions where we're going to sow in the fields of our heart and our lives with the seed of the Spirit. We reap what we sow. I love Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And I pray that this would be a week where we, guided by the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, would take a giant ripping blade to our hearts and to our lives and break up the fallow ground of our life. And let the Lord do a work of starting fresh in the field of our hearts what we're planting there, what we're sowing there. It would be a new day in the field of our hearts that we might reap everlasting life and be done with reaping corruption. How interesting to know that all of the godly people, the missionaries that we've known, the godly men and women, in that man and in that lady there was that ruthless practice of sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh. Think about that. Those kind of heroes of the faith here on earth, that missionary, that church planter, you know, just those prayer warriors. And there was sowing to the spirit with gladness and energy. Moving on in our text, verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We spoke of this a bit last week, but just to understand that these, the, the, the compassion ministry that we have, which is a way that we sow to the Spirit, it can make us weary. The subject kind of changes here from that of personal holiness towards doing good and helping others and engaging in uh, helpful, good activities in our church and in our community. But it's all under this metaphor of reaping and sowing. And in the midst of this life of a spiritual farmer, it can be tiring, 
It can be exacting work. We're tempted to become discouraged or to slack off as a farmer or to even give up. And Paul knew this firsthand. He had time of even despairing of life because the burden of ministry seemed too much at times. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, my ministry was marked with weariness and toil and sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and nakedness. It was, it's a weary ministry. Those who do good as they sow to the Spirit, it's weary. There's this continued encouragement to keep pressing on because in due season, you will also reap a harvest, the text says. That idea of sowing and reaping continues, but you will only reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. Giving up, becoming extremely weary and discouraging. This is real in the life of ministers. So keep your pastors and elders and and your core group leaders, keep them in prayer. And those, you know, everyone who's serving the Lord. Because it can be tiring and discouraging. Paul would even encourage the Corinthians, man, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. If you don't lose heart, you will reap a harvest. ESV says if you don't give up. NASB says if you don't grow weary, You will reap a harvest. There's this task to engage that's given to us today. And it is doing good. Doing good is found in verses 9 and 10. Now, this is not doing good to earn acceptance with God. We cannot earn our righteousness before God. But the gospel of grace in Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved and good works will be a result of our salvation. It will show that we are saved, redeemed in order to do good works, that we might be the aroma of Christ to this world. There are people for us to love and to care for. There are people for us to pour out our resources for, to help them and to encourage them. Doing good for each other. Doing good for the body of Christ. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our light isn't that of a policeman's spotlight or flashlight shining in the face, but rather it's one of radiance in the Lord Jesus. The beauty of the Lord Jesus. It's joy in the midst of sorrow. It's optimism in the midst of pessimists. It's being known for positive acts of kindness in our community, just as Jesus was. Do people know you for good things? Do people know you for good works? Do people know you for helping hands and tender eyes and a compassionate heart? I was kind of talking with some people this week about, you know, we do our monthly shopping uh, at Costco 
and at Walmart. Man, those are two different polar opposites of like the community, you know. You go to Costco and man, you got people that they are on a mission, you know. They got their weekend that they're getting the cart and filling it up and, you know, and they've got money to do it. You know, we go to Walmart because we don't really have all that money to do it. So we also head on over to the wall, to Wally's World, right? And I'm among my people there at Walmart. It's like, brother, how's it going? (laughs) Yeah. But it's just so funny because, you know, in both places, you've got people that just leave their carts out. They just, you know, but I've just been noticing that when I go to Costco, man, I just sense like people sowing to the flesh there. And I just sense people living for number one. And I'm just like, man, it's just, you can almost cut tension with a knife when you're in the parking lot alone. And then people are okay when they're getting treats and stuff and they're kind of shoving you out of the way, you know? But then when it comes time to get in one of those long lines to check out, once again, they're like, you know, it's, there's some flesh there. You can just feel it. And so whenever we're out in the parking lot, man, I'm just looking up and I'm looking out. I'm like, how can I help and serve and be like, a sweet-smelling aroma in the midst of all of this. And this last time we went, I'm sending Russell over that cart to help that little old lady and bring her cart over, son. You know, there was a, a gal with a baby in her arm and a full stack of, of and Russell, go help that. I, I'm not doing it, you know, but I can send my son, you know. <laughs> go help that woman. And, you know, Russell's just running over. And can I help you with this? And, man, just wanting to be a light, wanting to be the aroma of Christ, wanting to be, uh, you know, man, that someone would see my good works and glorify my father who's in heaven in the cost you know wherever we're at having open eyes to see these things james 4:17 says to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin don't grow weary in doing good And you know what that is. The Lord will put those things on your heart in those moments. But we also see that the time of this do-gooding is today. And it says in verse 10, therefore, this is our last verse today, guys, so you can kind of relax a little bit. We're not going to stay here all afternoon. Just a couple more hours. (laughs) Verse 10 says, therefore, it's as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all. We have the time, which is today and when the opportunity is there. And we have, who is it to? It's to all. As Wesley says, whatever time, place, in whatever manner that we can, let's do good. We know we've got this time, this season, this era, and this ministry that's been given. And so as the call goes out on the church Facebook page or the text hits, we need help. We need help. We need help in children's ministry. We need help in the sound ministry. We need help all across the realm here at this church. Or she needs help. They need help. They need a place to stay. It's amazing the loud silence that comes back in those threads. You heard it, didn't you? It's just like that, right? We're not willing to do good as often as there's an opportunity. We're willing to do good as much as it depends on my schedule rather than the opportunity that the Lord has brought before us. There's a specific opportunity there that Galatians 10 tells us and that it's for the family of believers especially. Especially as it relates to our local body. We do good to all. We do good to all. Looking for every opportunity. Had a gal come in Wednesday night needing money for laundry and food. We'll get you money, ma'am. We just want to, you know, but we want to give you Jesus too. 
Yeah, we can help you. Sometimes it's silver and gold have I none, but I'm giving you Jesus today. Sometimes it is a little bit of money. Sometimes a lot bit of money. We're led by the Spirit in the generosity around here. But it's especially to those of the household of faith. There's a specific group of people that have a peculiar claim on us, and that just makes sense. It's not wrong to say that charity belongs at home. If we can't take care of our family, then who can we take care of? But we do good as much as there's an opportunity. As Proverbs says, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. If someone needs 10 bucks and you got 10 bucks in your wallet, give it to them. If someone needs an hour and you've got an hour, give it to them. If you have it here, give it here. We're looking for opportunities to do good wherever we can, and especially within the fellowship. And so as we close, and we can have the worship team come on up, just to prove we're really close. And Adam is here today. You can tell it's him because of the little thorns in his pant legs from all those Canadian thistles, but (laughs) one day those boots will be orange, carrot stained. Put the whole section of verses 1 through 10 together, and what do we have? Exactly. Make mine a pepperoni. We have a spirit-led people, marked by gentle restoration, verses 1 and 2, and humble burden-bearing, with generous sharing, verse 6, and personal holiness, verses 7 and 8, and practical goodness, 9 and 10. What we have is life in the Spirit. And we also have all of those things embodied in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly. Jesus has restored us from our broken relationship with God. He continues to restore our souls He bears our burden of sin and failure to keep the law. He is the ultimate generous giver who has made us rich through his poverty. Jesus constantly sowed to the Spirit, living a life of perfect righteousness, and he reaped eternal glory. Jesus was a prophet who was mighty in word and deed, who went about doing good, Acts 10 speaks of Jesus. And Jesus gives us the example and has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to fulfill this call on our lives. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Let's pray. Lord, we know that as we allow your word to be pressed into our heart by the Holy Spirit, as these truths become part of our regular thinking and meditating, as we understand that this explains how and why we are the way we are and our world is the way it is, We look across the valley of our culture and see many different fields and few of them 
are full of lush green grass. Oh Lord, we desire you to be glorified in our sowing to the Spirit and how we take care of our leaders and how we pursue holiness of living and in how we reach our church and this community and this world with good things and good care. And we know that others will see Jesus in us. No doubt across this room right now, Lord, there's been the convicting work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. You've just been, you've been doing that spiritual inventory as we think about that show that we just regularly just meditate on really and, and those places that we go and that, those friends that we spend many times with and Lord, just the hours of our day that we just consume television, we consume media, we consume music and, and the hours of the day that we consume you are far less. We pray for godly sorrow in our hearts today and an absolute distaste for those things that are fleshly and carnal. We don't want to make ourselves a friend with the world. We want to be friends with you, Lord. We pray that you would just grant us repentance today and you would just help us to crucify the flesh with its passions and lusts that we would be ruthless and are saying no to the flesh. And we would be glad and energetic in our pursuit of you and our personal times in the word and in prayer and in worship and our personal sowing to the spirit in doing good to others and our personal quiet times, God, but as well as our corporate things. As we come together to encourage one another, to stir one another up, and to send one another out, Lord. You be glorified as you're building us up so this world can know you, God. Let's stand together and we'll close in worship.